The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Dan Mateague. He is the president of AffordableEnergy.ca. Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, Good to be here, Laura. Thanks for having me. So this may surprise you if you're listening to this, but I'm actually against the carbon tax. And of course, you know that I want a clean world with clean soil, clean air, clean water, clean, healthy people, right? But I don't believe the carbon tax is the way to get there because it's hurting people. And so we're going to talk to Dan today um, about that and get some more insight. Now, uh, Dan, you had 18 years serving in the House of Commons and it was uh, as a Liberal MP. Is that right? That's right. And I handled the uh, consumer file, uh, Canadians abroad, saving the lives of Canadians uh, in uh, wrongfully detained and possibly wrongfully executed. There's a lot of work in a number of areas. So all that training over 18 years as a Liberal Member of Parliament, and by the way, my work in the Liberal Party didn't just start when I became an MP. I'd served 15 years before that in the trenches, putting a lot of Liberal, Federal and and Provincial MPPs in, uh, in office. Wow. So yeah, you're really, you're really into politics. So you know what's happening. So I'm really interested to get your opinion on this. Oh, and uh, you're on Twitter as gas price wizard. That's I am. And that's why I provide people a heads up in terms of gas prices to help them save Mm -hmm. a few pennies. Been doing that for about 25 years now. Yeah, because there's this side of, you know, we want to we want to have a clean environment, but I just really don't want to hurt Canadians. And I know that this carbon tax is hurting Canadians because I can feel it personally. And I see all the time, you know, people are worried about their gas prices going up and, you know, their home heating bills and stuff. And then I see these people being like, well, you just have to downsize. And (laughs) that's unfair because if you are living in a city, right? And you you can walk to work. That's great. But there are a lot of people who, for example, need to drive, let's say, a dump truck. I know a company locally that that has dump trucks. And I think within the first month of the carbon tax being put in, I think they had a $6,000 increase in fuel. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and as do farmers. So if you eat uh, yeah. The carbon tax is not for you. Look, uh, you need yeah. carbon, by the way, in terms of providing uh, our farmers, certainly those working in uh, greenhouses and hothouses throughout southwestern Ontario. Someone should take the time to get out of Toronto. Maybe I'll pay the bus money for them if they want. Get down there and see how this operates. So demonizing carbon, I'll leave that argument aside. Uh, and uh, But I am concerned about carbon taxes, which have the effect not only of uh, potentially distorting the ability for people to make ends meet. More importantly, they do nothing to accomplish the very emissions you're trying to uh, to decrease. And I, I won't go in great length on that, but we are a country abundant in energy, especially natural gas. We could sell, sell a lot more of that to, to China. 50% of all the coal production spewing out not just a lot of carbon, but all sorts of other toxins into the air uh, in mercury and other dangerous substances. We could help stop that if we could sell more natural gas there. But the same people who love carbon taxes also happen to be morphed into the same group that loves to block natural gas pipelines, as we saw just before the start of the pandemic. So Canada is a solution. 
And what's tragic about this country, and I think this really comes back to our education system, is that we have a rather hostile, uninformed, uh, and frankly, uh, dishonest uh, take by many in our in our uh, educational system that have taught and trained kids to believe that Canada is somehow a laggard when it comes to clean energy. Nothing could be further from the truth. And by the way, I was a member of Parliament for 18 years. The writing of representatives Pickering, you might be familiar with the fact that uh, over 50 years ago, produced zero emission energy for most of Ontario, cheap, affordable, abundant, uh, made us very competitive and also kept it very clean. Yeah, nuclear, right? The Pickering uh, Nuclear Station, yeah, and which is set to close, unfortunately. Closing, um, it's aged, uh, but there are other alternatives, of course, natural gas and uh, the Bruce Generating Station and Darlington. So, you know, those have seen their, their lifespan come to an end. Um, but, you know, that doesn't stop us from continuing down the road of ensuring that we use clean energy uh, the way we have. And by the way, we were the first province, first jurisdiction virtually North America to use Tesla's energy matrix by using uh, hydro, the Adam Beck and other projects that were made at the turn of the last century in order to provide that so-called clean energy. And we have plenty of it. Next down the line is natural gas. But we see you know, our organizations like Ontario Clean Coalition uh, trying to shut down the very natural gas plants and trying to get municipalities and, frankly, uninformed uh, municipal uh, burgers to uh, vote against the idea of using natural gas as a backup to renewables. But that's a bigger issue for in of itself. Look, carbon taxes have been tried in Canada uh, they've been around for eons now, 14, 15 years in British Columbia. And guess what? Emissions continue to rise despite them being prohibitive and, and being costly. Okay, so let's talk about that because I, I have read many articles that say the carbon emissions have gone up in BC despite the carbon tax. But I also read, I think it was an article maybe by the CBC or somewhere. I did see somewhere that that is not true. So can you enlighten us a little bit? Are BC's emissions going up despite the carbon tax? The BC government itself had to admit that. So, I mean, if CBC wants to quit, look, we understand CBC and I've been, it's been a long time since I've done interviews with them. They are extremely uh, one-sided, biased and uh, closed-minded, frankly, frankly, on this issue. It's, it hurts them to recognize that this has happened, but there's obviously another couple of reasons at play. The car industry is getting its act together. Emissions in cars have dropped 17 fold since the 1970s. Yeah, so in other words, yeah. you could have 17 times more cars on the road today and you wouldn't be increasing emissions. So it's other factors. An increasing population in Vancouver and the lower mainland also helps explain it. Uh, but this is something that governments, when they come out with these ideas and trot out the idea of greater intensity and more carbon taxes, that in and of itself is debatable. You and I are having a, a discussion on this. But when you add what Trudeau did, another clean fuel standard, which is a dishonest commentary because we already have achieved clean fuel standard and clean air uh, there are very few regulatory violations of some of our strictest air emissions regulations. Uh, what we're really doing is uh, undermining the first carbon tax. And I don't just say that. Uh, there are people who are far smarter than me. People are Nobel Prize winners like William Nordhaus, who said you do not put a clean fuel standard, as Trudeau's proposed, on existing carbon taxes. It distorts uh, the effectiveness of using carbon pricing to, re- to reduce emissions. Now, again, I'm going on a little further. But coming back to the point, I don't believe for a minute these carbon taxes are anything more than real taxes and a revenue stream for the federal and to a smaller extent, provincial governments and those advocating them because they do not reduce emissions. Yeah, I I just think it's such a a boot to the face for Canadians because, you know, a lot of Canadians aren't 
rich, a lot of them are struggling and you don't really hear about them because they're struggling. So they're not on TV. They're not on Twitter complaining. I saw some people are, but a lot of these people, they're just struggling kind of on their own and then putting the prices up. I know one of your articles said uh, 577% yep. uh, in, increase in fuel. Can you believe it? Okay. So let's, let's just go back a little bit because we do have a lot of international listeners. So let's kind of talk about this from a perspective where someone outside of Canada doesn't really understand what's going on. First of all, the Paris Accord happened. And so Trudeau wants to meet the Paris Agreement. To do so, he has implemented a carbon tax on Ontario and provinces that do not have their own carbon tax or cap and trade system. And Ontario used to be part of Quebec and California's cap and trade system. But then Doug Ford pulled us out of that. And then Trudeau slapped the carbon tax on us instead to make sure that we're always paying high prices uh, for fuel. So would you agree with all that stuff? And that's kind of how this whole thing started and got us to this 577% increase? <laughs> well, look, I, I think uh, it's pretty clear uh, the Liberals want to uh, go as far to the left of the political spectrum as they can. They also want to be able to take out uh, green votes, I know, because uh, the man who I provided advice for, Stéphane Zion, attempted this in 2008 when energy prices are going through the roof. And I remember saying to him, you can't convince the public that there's an issue out there when, in fact, they're paying the highest prices for energy at that time, which have nothing to do with carbon taxes. And can we reduce those things? Maybe. But I think the real problem with Canada signing an agreement, because it wanted to do so to send a message as opposed to being practical, Mr. Trudeau's rush to uh, signing the Paris Climate Agreement actually hurt Canada in a significant way. Most importantly, it was blind to the fact that prior to 2005, that's the date where you have to, uh, according to the agreement that we signed, bring emissions 30% below. Prior to 2005, Canada was well on its way to shutting down coal plants, long before it was trendy. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, things like nuclear, hydro, uh, natural gas were in, you know, increasingly part of the energy menu that this country had used. So we are basically saying, despite all the good things we did prior to 2005, uh, we're going to be punished for those things because we have now have to find ways to drop our emissions 30% at a time, by the way, in which our labor markets and our population continues to grow. Uh, now, for all the Malthusiasts out there who love the uh, the idea that uh, carbon taxes will somehow bring about lower population, I got bad news for you. People are still coming to Canada. The, the Liberal government is introducing another 400,000 people, uh, which I think in and of itself is a good thing for Canada. But you can't increase yeah. the population by two and three percent every year and then hope you can drop the emissions by two or three or four or five, six percent. So let's go back to what this is. The Paris Climate Agreement basically says Despite all the things you can do, Canada, despite all the great things you've done in the past and the great things you can do by selling more natural gas to China so they don't build any more coal plants, China mm. will build more coal plants this year than the entire world will. Uh, so that tells you something. BC provides a lot of that, right? Because they have a number of coal plants oh, that are being right. shipped out through to Austin. You yeah. got it. So don't, don't think got you're it. out of this, BC. <laughs> no, no. Well, BC isn't out of it. And BC is paying a, a, a significant toll for all this from there. But here's here's what, Laura, what I really want people to come away with is that I hear from those same individuals who say, I live in downtown, whatever. I live in an apartment, whatever. I don't need to worry about these things. And I get a big fat rebate. I say to them, have you been to a grocery store lately? And this silence is usually deafening. And the reason for that is because we are seeing a significant increase in prices at uh, the grocery gate, at the, uh, the checkout. 
And a lot of that has to do with governments arbitrarily and artificially driving up the price. And one of the main reasons, I don't know about you, I had cereal this morning. This afternoon, uh, when we finish the interview, I'm probably going to have a sandwich. All of those things are made with grains. And grains right now, provided by our prairie and Ontario farmers, are being subject to a tax that is bludgeoning them. It is taking out the financial ability for them to make ends meet. On a $50,000 bill for processing, the carbon tax is already $10,000. Imagine, we're only at $30 wow. a, a, a ton. When it goes to $170 and you impose a, 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 what's called the clean fuel standard, that will quadruple. In other words, the cost of the carbon tax that these folks who have no idea how it applies, especially on their groceries, are A, going to cripple our agricultural sector, after killing off the energy sector in Canada, B, they're likely to lead to prices at uh, the grocery store and for food, the likes of which they're not going to be able to afford. So I think for those who are advocating these things, be very careful what you're signing up to because you're giving license to uh, undermining your own ability to make ends meet. And, and not only, you know, if you still don't care, so if you live in a city and you're like, I don't care if my food prices double because I can afford it. Okay, that's not very nice to all the people who can't. But also, um, listen, there's a lot of rural Canadians and I can tell you that we're going to start heating with wood again, which is worse <laughs> usually for for pollution um because a lot of us have trees and there's a lot of trees in canada my goodness so if you put and two billion more to come and what's right two billion more that the federal government wants to plant um i just hope that uh, the government yeah. realizes we're going to create a cottage industry in the chainsaw industry yeah i don't really get the you know politicians are always planting trees in front of a forest like whenever they come to my area trudeau came to uh well gosh what's that place the frink center and planted oh, yeah. a tree like in a forest like we live in a giant forest that stretches up to like hudson bay from lake ontario <laughs> so it's <Yeah>. always <laughs> funny that they're it's like okay cool um but anyway so yeah if you put our our prices to heat ourselves okay because it's like minus 20 celsius minus 30 celsius when you go out west it's like minus 40 if you go up north um so if you mess with canadians ability to afford to keep themselves and their children warm we're going to go and, and take wood. Um, but then also with the food prices, right? There are a lot of people who hunt in Canada, a lot of First Nations and a lot of people who have been here for, you know, seven to 10 generations. Um, they live off the land quite a bit. And if you double the prices of them being able to get protein for their family, where do you think they're going to get it? They're going to go and and yep. hunt it. It's concerning uh, the level and the depth of ignorance of people who are prepared to trade away uh, what has been arguably the most enviable period of time for human existence in favor of uh, what amounts to Jack and the Beanstalk, a few beans. And I, I got to tell you, uh, those pushing this have an agenda. Uh, it isn't just about clean air or so-called no carbon in the air. Uh, it's really about uh, population reduction. And I know that that's their agenda. Uh, and they're, you know, the honest ones will tell you, yeah, that, that'd be a great thing. Why? Because it's been part of the narrative that they've been pushing for years. When I was a younger lad, I remember full well arguments that were made about peak oil and that the world would come to an end in the 1970s because of through starvation. All those, those predictions, wild as they were, very much along the same lines of, uh, climate extinction and things like that uh, turned out to be spectacularly wrong. And that's not to say that was a license for us to go and, and, and pollute. Quite to the contrary, we've increased our ability to manage the world's needs. 
while at the same time reducing the so-called green footprint. And although some are suggesting that uh, that hasn't happened and we still have bad examples, the examples they provide of things like solar energy, solar panels and windmills and uh, products that have to be extracted from the ground are far more negative to the environment than they are the solution they're trying to provide. In other words, I can safely say, being someone who worked uh, in the public sector of uh, some of the largest automotive companies, that the company, the, the internal combustion engine vehicles being produced today have a lower carbon footprint than the electric vehicles that uh, trendies out there think are somehow uh, the end thing. And at the same time, do not take into account where a lot of those uh, products, lithium, uh, graphites, which are made and extracted, not just through heavy fossil fuel use, but often violating labor standards around the world. To me, we don't seem to get it right. And of course, Canada could do a lot in this in this field. We could extract more, but you can't go to Northern Ontario without having you know, significant power and significant fossil fuels to be able to extract those things. So you can't have it both ways. And unfortunately, those who have these simple, facile solutions, when contrasted against the facts, and I know that the public is bombarded with one-sidedness, especially by our media. I know at the end of all of this, when you start to contrast that with some simple facts, which I put out every single week where we can, uh, their arguments fall to the wayside. And as much as they try, they can't come back and say, well, hold it, Dan's in the pockets of oil companies. Hey, I'm the guy that took them on for 20 years as a member of parliament. The record is very clear. If there's one person who was disliked by the downstream of the energy sector, it was Dan McTague as a member of parliament. So, no, I call a spade a spade. I didn't like the way they behaved. I went after their, their conduct, but I never went to the point of saying we should destroy the industry itself. Why? Because it supports the standard of living that we all share and the social programs that we all enjoy. And so if everyone wants to trade that away, I say what truly is your agenda at the end of the day is depopulation. Yeah, and that's like really evil. Like the really evil people in human history have wanted to depopulate certain parts of the population. And so with environmentalism, I think that we should take a look at ourselves and just make sure that we're not on the evil side of killing people. Honestly, well, I really yeah. think that it's no, there's, there's a lot of good people out there who are very well-intentioned, but I think those same, you know, those same people to a large extent are misinformed and they're being misled. And uh, our job is to, uh, is to debunk the nonsense that's going out there and go after those who are saying these things and demonstrate what their real interest is. When I see, the Mark Carneys of this world and others, bankers getting together saying we're going to definance some of these uh, capital projects. I wonder, what are you proposing instead? Oh, carbon offset markets. In other words, you're creating markets based on nothing, based on thin air, and you're going to make a profit on that. That, to me, is insidious. And it reminds me of what happened in 2008 when we let people like that uh, create and, and, and cause, really, the global recession, the massive global recession of 2008. By the way, Laura, i got to tell you, this pandemic... Uh, and the cost to the Canadian taxpayer, the Canadian economy is so great. The only way in which you're going to get out of it is by making sure your agricultural sector, your mining sector, your manufacturing sector, your energy sector, oil and gas get back up on their feet very quickly to pull this out of uh, pull this uh, this economy out of a rut. If it doesn't, we're in for generations of pain and uh, a degrading of our standard of living lights of which we've never seen. Forget your carbon taxes. We can't get our acts together collectively, economically, this country uh, may not look the same in any way, shape or form uh, over the next several years.
Yep, it's really dangerous. And we're such a cold country. And for some reason, oil and gas is being so demonized. And it's really what's brought us modern medicine, modern buildings, you you know, comfort, survival. But we're not at a point where we can just go back to living off the land because we have so many people like the land, the living off the land lifestyle that people dream of is like not possible anymore, really. I mean, maybe for a few pockets of people, but you know, you don't want to go back to that way anyway. People were dying and there was always famine and stuff. So that's sort of a weird green fantasy of like, I think instead of trying to go back to some thing that doesn't and can't exist anymore, we should uh, really be trying to move forward and you, despite what you think of Elon Musk, whatever, um, you know, he's worried about population collapse and, and, but he is trying to take technology and like do good things, you know? And like you said, it's controversial about whether EVs are actually, if they have a better impact on the the climate and, and the earth and stuff, because you're mining and all this stuff. I do think it would clean up a city. So if you had a really dirty city that had really bad pollution from you know all these vehicles going through like in LA or something then I would think that yeah you will clean up LA but like at what cost to the children in Congo who are mining things and at what cost not all of us can afford to go there but I mean you know my days public relations at Toyota Canada I and Lexus I used to from time to time be in Japan go to Tokyo I mean there's a country whose number one manufactured Toyota Motors has made it very clear that they can't go all EV uh, and they don't need to go all EV. And they've demonstrated uh, in very, very stark terms why that wouldn't be a good thing necessarily for the environment and, and certainly wouldn't be a good thing in terms of their ability to continue to bring, you know, cars from the gas guzzling, you know, uh, emissions belching V8s all the way down to two and three cylinders, four cylinders mated with hybrids that uh, you know, hardly use any fuel. And what comes out of the tailpipe, you could pretty much put your nose behind it. It also doesn't take into account other potentials and technologies, which I think are out there. But I, you know, I think those technologies will evolve regardless, but we don't need a carbon tax to get us there just to be trendy. I've seen what's happened when you try to rush these things and try to get ahead and try to bend science and break the law of physics. The reality is that you wind up impoverishing people and you uh, frustrate people who would otherwise want to be on board. We all want a clean environment. We want to make sure, as you said at the outset, clean air, clean land, clean waters. And Canada has done a remarkable job. I am in Oakville, Ontario right now. As a child, I came out here and I remember Lake Ontario looking like crap. I mean, mm-hmm. fish were dying. It smelt. You could probably throw a match out there. And in some places, it, was, it would catch on fire. It doesn't happen anymore. We need to get our act together. We continue to get our act together. Uh, but let's not, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater and stop, you know, beating ourselves to pieces because, uh, you know, people of great informed views like uh, Greta Thunberg are going to tell us that the, the world is coming to an end in 10 years and shame on us. No, shame on the ignorant ignoramuses out there who don't take into account the great strides that have been done, uh, both in terms of technology and especially what we've done here in Canada as one of the most... Uh, uh, you know, one of the most honest and and forthright uh, and and clean energy producers worldwide. That and the ethics of paying people responsibly and working with First Nations groups and uh, and you know making sure that women can have jobs. You know, because there are some countries Big that time. we even buy our oil from that aren't very nice to women. Right? I I still think that's crazy that we're well. One, we're still importing um, fossil fuels from Saudi Arabia, right? And Incredible. Oh, yeah. Also, like, and, and, and yeah. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. And then we're also sending the tankers. If you don't know this, by the way, if you're listening from some other country, we have tankers going from Vancouver <laughs> around mm-hmm. to Atlantic Canada. So they have to go all the way down 
below North America and then go through the Panama Canal and come back up. It's crazy. Yep. But that's the, the interesting part is that Canada can provide significant heavier slates of oil, which is needed to provide things like diesel, uh, aviation fuel, uh, in closer proximity to, say, countries that are unstable, that violate human rights, that violate environmental protocols. And I don't mean need to mention Russia. I don't need to mention, to various extents, uh, Iran, Iraq, Venezuela. Look, we are seeing an increasing you know, uh, factor in which that which we are producing. Oil sands emissions have dropped by 25% in the past 10 to 12 years. Uh, that's going to continue to be the case. SAGD technology, where you're not even opening up the land anymore to remove the tar that was once in sand. And that's really the process involved without very much in the way of an environmental impact. And of course, let's not forget when it comes to uh, putting things back together. So our reclamation and, and restoration of many of these projects is second to none in the world. And again, I have to come back because I think Canadians may be heavily, especially in Eastern Canada, may be very heavily informed on the one side of the bad things that we do, but they are completely clued out when it comes to the good things that we do. And it's not here to simply toot our own horn, but to recognize that we are one heck of a responsible producer of energy. And we have a, yeah. a bevy, a variety of energy options that maintain our standard of living. Unless, of course, we want to say, hey, maybe we should have China produce all of it for us because it looks like we're doing the same thing on the agricultural side. We're telling the world, look, Canada, Canadian farmers uh, use natural gas to dry their grain. Uh, that's not a good thing. Let's tax them into poverty and into uh, financial ruin so we can then import from the rest of the world. Uh, Canadians need to rethink the one-sided indoctrination that they've been subject to for the past 20 years. And folks like me are no longer going to let green narratives, which are dishonest, and fundamentally uh, distorted to take pot shots at an empty net. There's a goalie now in net, and I'm not going to let them get through as easily as they did before. Yeah, and I think your your side of the conversation is important. So increasingly, we just hear the one side that we want to hear, but that's not how you make the best decisions. So what I want to do is just bring you on here so that Canadians and other people are aware of what's going on here in Canada, because we get a lot of protesters coming up here and really giving our oil and gas industry a hard time, like even Leonardo DiCaprio, right? As he goes on his yacht everywhere and flies on his yeah. private plane, like, give me a break. Anyway, but I think one of the reasons why we get targeted so much is because we're so nice and friendly, but you don't really see these people, these groups going to Russia because Russia is scary. You don't see them going to China and complaining about China's crazy emissions increases, right? Um, because China is scary. They'll put you in jail like the two Michaels. You have to go for the low-hanging fruit if you're going to attack somebody. And so we just, I think, happen to be that way. And that's why we get such a bad rap because, you know, we're just kind of nice. Well, don't take your full belly. Don't take your warm house. Don't take your job. And certainly don't take uh, the uh, social programs and national unity of this country for granted. It was earned in, by our parents and our foreparents and those who were here before us. And uh, if we want to do what's right, let's continue down the road of ensuring that we're you know, e environmentally responsible while at the same time recognizing you don't damn well throw the baby out with the bathwater. You want to get rid of the energy sector and cause all sorts of you know, disunity and, and, and dislocation economically. 
by all means, go ahead and do that. But I can tell you, you're not going to be able to replace what we have in a cold country with windmills and solar panels, which are only reliable 10 or 15% of the times. By the way, you and I are both in Ontario. The first real experimentation with green energy and, and green ideas and being told that we should accept carbon taxes and all sorts of other green novelties has led to a virtual doubling of our hydro rates here in Ontario. And that's because we took clean energy, put it aside in favor of these untested, very expensive technologies for which a lot of people advocating this idea made off like thieves and did very, very well. I know some of them. I remember I'm a 38-year member of the Liberal Party. I know them very well. I know how much money they made. And people who are in fixed income, single single moms community who are living in, in absolute uh, uh, dire straits are the ones having to pick up the freight 10 to 15 years later. And these people have made off yeah. like bandits. Yeah. And remember, the people that are making the policies in government, they charge a lot of this stuff as expenses. So if they put your fuel price up by $100 a month, they can just expense that to you as well for their costs, right? Because they, they can expense their travel, right? You raise an interesting point because one of the things the federal government uses, is, oh, we give a rebate. Well, guess what? We now find that uh, at least a quarter of that was never rebated. It's given to special programs and universities and groups and sinecures and others who uh, can come back and say wonderful things about carbon taxes. And in fact, tell us that we're doing wrong by saying it's wrong, but they're very well uh, ensconced and they are doing extraordinarily well, perhaps either through silence or through their own selective questionable data making and research. And that includes some of the media. Let's make no mistake. The money doesn't uh, you know, fall off trees. It comes from taxpayers. So when I hear the baloney that, uh, oh, I get my, uh, I, I spent 300 bucks in extra carbon taxes last year, but I got $360 back or whatever the case may be. That doesn't take into account the colder weather in which you may have, you've probably spent more. It doesn't take into account the secondary ramifications, things like, for instance, food prices, where the cost of everything goes up. And what happens at the end of the day? The government is still keeping the GST, the HST, so 5 or 13%, depending on the province. At the end of all of this, even on the base amount, the federal government in 2019, 2020, collected 2.6 billion bucks, but uh, stuffed almost half a billion in its own pocket. So when we're all ready to say, what is this all for? I think when you put a pluses and minus, you do a calculation at the end of the day, either from a national perspective, from a environmental perspective, and from a personal perspective, this fails this, the test. And for that reason, I think it's time to rethink carbon taxes in this country and parties that want to push it. I'll be out to tell them and to tell the voters what they actually have in, in mind for them is poverty and energy poverty, which leads to all sorts of significant negatives for every Canadian down the road. Yep, absolutely. I feel like it's a bunch of rich politicians taking from the poor and and getting that money back. Right. And and the, the rebate is not good. And I think that the government lies about that because just on my gas alone, just for me to drive for a year, the 23 cent increase at the pumps will be almost $600 more. And my rebate would be like, what, 300 something. But then we're not even talking about the increase in food price. But I also have propane that backs up my heat pump. So yeah. the propane costs will go up with the carbon tax and, and, and stuff, right? So um, the cost to me is insane. And the rebate is not even, I think it's maybe a quarter of <laughs> Of, of the extra money I'd be spending right now. So it's not good. Laura, here's another way of looking at it, because as you know, when my gas price predictions are two and three days ahead, uh, I have to look at the value of the Canadian dollar. 
if we stop selling our resources to the rest of the world, in particular natural gas and oil, because we shut down our system, as uh, uh, those who are pushing this have no idea of how intricate it is and how it works with our standard of living. If my Canadian dollar begins to lose even greater ground against the U.S. greenback, on which all commodities, not just oil and gas, but every commodity that we consume is based, then we start to become even less uh, our purchasing power goes out the window we become even less able to buy the things that we once took for granted so yeah go ahead kill the oil industry kill the natural gas industry as so many people are pushing you'll find that at the end of all of this it will increase the price and the cost of just about everything to the point where none of us can afford anything not just the things that we don't produce in this country but the very things that we import and our greater reliance on imports externally will put further downward pressure on the canadian dollar Look, we really need to have a bird's eye macro view of what we are proposing here because it may be trendy and cute for the brainwashed and the susceptible and those who bought the propaganda. But at the end of all this, I am looking at a Canadian an economy, a country, which will go from being one of the most enviable to the one of the most distrusted and certainly one of the most least likely to have the kind of investments that we need to grow our economy, green or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm definitely worried about it. And uh, I think oil and gas plays a part in a clean future. And I don't know why people want it out. Because when you look around at your life, everything is made with oil and gas. And I get it. You know, some of it can be problematic. uh, But we need it to keep going. Like you can't just stop and go back. We have to keep moving and developing. And like you said, you don't put a timeline of the world's going to explode in 12 years. So we have to do the most drastic things coming from people who might have alternative (laughs) ulterior motives to make money for themselves or whatever, right? Like you can take time. The world is not going to die in 12 years. Um, Sure. It it, it is warming, right? Like these things are happening, but uh, I don't think it's like this crazy crisis where you want to destroy people's lives and make millions of people go into poverty which Canada is on track for because this is too expensive. It's too much. Um, and it's not responsible. I think the other, the one thing I did want to ask you about too. So have you heard about the pipeline that goes through Michigan that, uh, they want to close? I heard about it. I raised it four years ago with CBC, the Canadian press, CTV, none of which wanted to talk about it. Remember my role at, at uh, my former role at commercialsgaspricing.com and gas buddy was to interact with us officials who pleaded with me to wake our, our governments up, to the idea that uh, if you shut down that pipeline, Line 5 Enbridge, which has been around for 68 years and provided without incident through the Straits of Mackinac. By the way, so oil comes from Alberta, makes its way across the Straits into Michigan, gives about 40% of that propane and oil to Michigan and Ohio, and the other 60% supplies oil propane to our Ontario, Quebec, and even maritime markets. So it's a significant pipeline. Never had an issue, but uh, the green elements in the state of Michigan have decided uh, through their governor that they want to remove the license, the permit of that uh, pipeline, even though there's been no issue there. Enbridge is proposing to put a tunnel under the Straits of Mackinac, which separate, of course, uh, Superior from Lake Huron. What it really means is the death knell. I'm glad to see that the media picked up on it yesterday, but this is the same media that's been too busy putting out climate change nonsense and backing carbon taxes, Globe and Mail being a good example. Uh, but rather than being nasty and testy about this, I think the issue is this. I've raised this issue several times. Uh, on November 13th, I put hundreds of tweets out uh, to warning what this, what, what this would mean for Ontario's economy. And no, it's not just Sarnia. 
As I said, it's propane to Quebec, propane to the Maritimes. It's our entire secondary industries that are going to be affected by this in particularly in particular plastics industries ethane uh, so the 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 kind of billion dollar industries that need oil to be able to process into higher value added goods uh, the kind of things that we use in manufacturing including ppes uh, those things are going to be on on uh, affected and given that all of our oil here in ontario and to a lesser extent quebec uh, comes from this pipeline its closure means there's no more gasoline or diesel folks so people say oh well we can transport it we can rail it we can truck it we can yeah all those things not only contribute to higher higher uh, carbon footprint they're also impractical whereas the american refiners no problem the us you see has been permitted to build as many pipelines as they've wanted over the past few years while canadians as i tweeted this morning have uh, you know basically captured themselves or allowed themselves to be deceived in the idea that you don't need any more pipelines. If we had Energy East, this wouldn't be an issue. But we've allowed and voted for parties that have shut down our pipelines, and we've contented ourselves in thinking that uh, all's well that ends well. Well, you know what? This is one very serious issue that's about to bite us in the backside. And if it happens, uh, we're 117 days away from the deadline, which is May uh, May 12th, May 13th. If there is, if, if Governor... Uh, Gretchen Whitmer is, is successful and there is no court challenge that prevents her from doing what she wants to do, the American refiners will be fine. Our Canadian energy sector is going to take a hit the likes of which we haven't seen. And I've got to tell you, in Alberta, I don't think they really care because they've seen enough of Eastern Canadians trying to shut down uh, their uh, energy sector. Now that it comes to hurt us, uh, it's likely this could have a crippling effect, a devastating effect, definitely on Ontario's market and more likely a good portion of Quebec and, and the Maritimes. Do you think Ontario and Quebec may see fuel shortages next winter because of see this? See fuel shortages. Uh, you won't have to wait till winter. Uh, wait till you start the summer driving season. You won't have any gasoline. You won't have any diesel. You won't have any aviation fuel. You won't have fuel to run your locomotives or your trucks. We have basically uh, contented ourselves with the idea that we can shut down pipelines and that that's inconsequential. And I can tell you that uh, we're now basically uh, at a point where maybe this wasn't such a brilliant idea uh, and that putting all our eggs in one basket and shutting down every other option hasn't been such a smart idea. And I know the politicians here in Ontario who thought, oh, let's shut down Energy East. You know, if people in North Base are complaining about, you know, not having any gasoline. You'll have to remind yourselves of what your politicians up in that community did when they said we don't want it coming by our community because it might poison one of the lakes. This is a pipeline that has never had a problem. By the way, it's the mainline pipeline we're talking about. It's currently a natural gas pipeline that hasn't had as much activity because a lot of our natural gas comes from, drum roll please, the United States, because the United States has had no trouble achieving energy security, while Canada, which always had more energy than it could possibly use, has now painted itself into the corner complements of the uh, green rhetoric and a carbon, uh, the carbon uh, boosters, carbon is price North boosters. Bay, is North Bay where Patty Hajew is from? Remember she was using a private plane? No, no, plane? she's Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay. Thunder, Thunder Bay, Bay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Do as I yeah. say, not as I do. Uh, Patty Hajew, that one, yeah. The one who gets away with it while everyone else has to uh, resign their portfolios. Yeah, that that same Patty Hajew. But again, there's a double standard for these this group of liberals, cult of personality, virtue signalers, and obviously uh, significant deceivers. I came in at a time when the liberals were quick on trying to get the nation's finances in order and knew that the importance of the energy sector. So what Sean Kennedy saying, turn around about Kyoto Protocol and just uh, shrug shoulders. Yeah, okay, what? Well, I'll sign it. But I have no way. I'm not, I'm not serious on getting this done because it's stupid. And you know what? It was stupid then by a great prime minister and it's stupid today.
So I just want to make a comment about the pipelines because I think that pipelines are the safest way to transport this stuff um, because your alter your alternatives are transport truck tanker ships going around the continent through Panama, which is just insane. And I, I'm ex-Navy, right? So I've worked on ships. I know how dirty yep. they are. I know what gets dumped in the ocean from them, right? It's not the not the cleanest. Um, no. So I think pipelines are a good idea. And uh, the trains, so in my town of Belleville, you can see the, the tanker trains going through. And we just spent about 30 years cleaning up our bay and yep. with a re- rehabilitation project that really did a good job. If that train spills in the Bay of Quinney, um, you know, some of the best walleye fishing in the world is going to be lost and all that cleanup that we did, or it's going to be like Lake Majantic and, and, you know, maybe kill people because they can be very dangerous when they derail. Right. So, uh, I'm, I'm not against pipelines. I think they are the safest method. Well, they have been, and they've, uh, they've kept, uh, they've, they've been a vanguard for our standard of living. Um, we used to use oil and, uh, coal to heat our homes here in Toronto. That changed to natural gas with the ability to bring natural gas pipelines. Now, pipelines aren't just safe. They have a record of ensuring efficiency and pipelines don't create emissions to begin with. If that's what you're concerned about, mm-hmm. it's what happens at the other end. And we can deal with that later. But no, Canada has been a Petri dish for international groups, well-funded by organizations uh, internationally, of course, and, and even uh, in the United States, Rockefellers who you know, fund pretty much uh, organ 350 organization and Tides and Greenpeace and all the others who have done very, very well through uh, finding ways to block Canada's pipelines as a means and a measure to ensure that we strangle the economy and that we use that as a template for how we're going to try to shut down oil around the world. By the way, I find it interesting, Rockefellers being behind this. In the 1890s, the Rockefellers were the subject of the Sherman Antitrust Act and uh, had their monopoly stripped from them. And they've been working for 125, 130 years to get it back. This is the way they're going to do it. Bury it. Leave it in the ground. You know what they're really wanting? Well, the Sherman Antitrust is the uh, significant competition act in the United States, which came about the same time our Competition Act was created in Canada. Uh, But the Sherman uh, Antitrust was aimed at the Rockefeller hold uh, of uh, the oil industry, which uh, was significant, which is why it, they broke into various smaller entities, creating companies like Esso Texaco, Standard Oil, Standard Oil of Texaco, Texas Standard Oil of uh, New Jersey, Standard Oil of, of California, all of the SoCal, they later became entities in themselves quite separate and competed with each other for 100 years. But uh, the same Rockefeller foundations, and many of them are out there, uh, have a history of saying, well, if we can't uh, we can't enjoy our monopoly, then we're going to find another way to uh, to stop others from enjoying that monopoly or enjoying that product. And that's uh, unfortunately for me uh, uh, an example of why Rockefeller is so heavily involved in this uh, green initiative. But you know what? They're not looking at it from an altruistic point of view. And we can probably say there's an element of interest by a company in terms of trying to get back its monopoly. There's also a lot of money be, to be made. As I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, uh, the, the 2008 economic recession is nothing compared to what these folks are proposing by creating offset and carbon markets in which they are uh, uniquely able to make money uh, by literally taxing ordinary people and the thin air that, uh, that, that is being produced. Yeah, or like the weather, you know, give, give money to <laughs> your government and the government will change the weather for you. It's like, pretty no, <laughs> cynical. The government isn't going to change the weather for you. Like the government doesn't have that power. Don't let them trick you into thinking that they have the power 
to but do they that. will suppress a hundred years of data to prove that uh, to prove a point that we are somehow warming up when in fact the 1930s and 40s were far hotter and warmer and more volatile than they are today so let's understand what governments really are trying to do because if you look at every single ministry under the trudeau government it has a what i call a climate commissar responsible to ensure that there's environmental uh climate action on every single one because as you know the crisis in canada today isn't uh, isn't the pandemic it isn't uh, uh world peace or hunger it's now the climate all other things fall to the wayside and the country that couldn't be happier and is laughing all the way to its imperialist intentions china it's really sad, I think, what's happening to Canada right now. And uh, I think that realistically, as a world, we probably have to increase our emissions so that people are kind of caught up to have technology to be clean. So once we get to the point where we can develop a little bit, and we talk about this with waste, right? If you don't have any waste management systems at all because you're not developed enough, well, if you develop to the point where you can have trucks driving around and picking up garbage and, and having a, a landfill system or an incinerator or something, you know, then all the stuff's still going to be dumped into the ocean and the lakes and the rivers. Because that's yeah. what we do focus a lot on the show is, is the waste aspect. It's just been hard for me to focus on waste when I feel like my country is really in trouble from a lot of, of you know, COVID and our corruption in our government and uh, where we're headed with this crazy climate stuff that is not, I don't think, going to clean up the world at all. Uh, I just think it's a, a way to take money from poor and give it to rich. Well, people. it is. And you need to look at the people that are behind this. So whether it's Build Back Better, whether it's Resilient Recovery, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, take it, take your pick on on the various acronyms and, and, and uh, slogans that have been used for this. It's utterly irrelevant, not just for a country like Canada, which is clean, but most importantly, it is particularly deadly and pernicious to ordinary Canadians who have absolutely no idea that uh, what they're embarking on will have no consequential effect on what it is they're trying to achieve. If Canada represents 1.4 to 1.6 of all the carbon emissions in the world, I can tell you that whatever actions we take and strangle ourselves and shut down our entire transportation sector over the next five years to achieve some kind of crazy goal, which is ignorant of what we've done here in Canada, what we could do for the rest of the world, China will gladly take that up in the next six months. So, you know, make no mistake, uh, we are on a true fool's errand. And anybody who thinks that carbon taxes is a wonderful thing really needs to do a little bit more research. And by the way, if it says it's coming from one of the green organizations out there, just find out where the money's coming from because it's not coming from yeah. any other source than those that have an interest in pushing a particular plan, which is designed to reinvent society. And at the end of the day, doesn't have your interest at heart. They're all folks that walk around saying we'll be dead in 12 years, so we should just off ourselves. And remember that Justin Trudeau pays the CBC, right? And uh, the Toronto Star. Year. Yep. Sorry, how much? $1.6 billion a year, isn't it? No, CBC. Just, and I, I think Toronto Star was getting like over 100 k a week or something crazy a while ago. Well, they've received money. I mean, it's, it's hard to say where that comes from. That's the old community funds that used to go to small you know, newspapers. So there'd be a con continuation of the cultural identity of small communities across Canada. That's all been morphed into, you know, uh, a group of people, including the Jerry Diaz and his group at Unifor deciding which newspapers are going to get money. And I can guarantee you 
uh, it buys a lot of very positive pro-green press. But the money is all wrapped up, I think, in, you know, you got to know somebody in the government. You got to be married to someone. I think in this country, we're losing a sense of ourselves, of who we are. Mm -hmm. And uh, teachers that have been more interested in media and uh, opinion leaders, more interested in tutting us over carbon uh, and over uh, CO2, have forgotten the great country that we are, the great achievements that we've made in the past and the great Mm -hmm. potential we have for the future. But, you know, being ignorant, shutting down, uh, deplatforming people, closing them off, uh, not recognizing the great contribution that people like yourself have made to the defense of this country, uh, I think is uh, is a crying shame. And it's likely to lead yeah. to even lesser Canada than the one we've always loved and uh, hoped would be for the future. Well, you, thank you. Well, you know, you know, can do the can do reactors, right? Um, up in Chalk River, like that's been a that's a big part of our national identity. I think is our contribution to the nuclear world. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, but I've been seeing Seamus O'Regan recently promoting nuclear, and I was like, that's weird because he was the minister of veteran affairs, and his office ignored me and would not write me back. Like, I think he did a a very bad job for vets. And then he was the Aboriginal minister. I don't think Aboriginal people were happy with what he did, but he was in Justin Trudeau's wedding party. So of course he gets all these positions, I think. Uh, No offense if you're friends with him, maybe he's a nice guy. Um, So anyway, lately he's been promoting nuclear. And I was like, wow, good for you. That's great. And I, I remember sharing something being like, you know what, credit when credit's due. Nuclear is a good option. And I appreciate that you know, he's uh, Seamus O'Regan is doing the right thing. And then I read one of the articles and SNC-Lavalin is building them all. <laughs> Did you know there about you go. that? Yes. I, well, in part. Um, there are other companies interested in that and there's a lot of money to be made. But, uh, you know, perhaps it's because yeah. the Muckrat Falls uh, project in Newfoundland isn't going so well and uh, Newfoundland doesn't have an alternative. Uh, but, you know, this is the same minister who had a letter written by the four provinces of the Atlantic saying, please, do not impose a second carbon tax, the clean fuel standard, because it's going to cripple us. And in the province of, New, of uh, Newfoundland and Labrador alone, our study, which we put out at the end of September, you can find it here at affordableenergy.ca, pointed out that there would be a $1,000 a year loss. Actually, it's 1040 by our economic calculations, 1040 compliance costs to every worker in Newfoundland. So the province that's hardest hit in order for people to make ends meet, because they use you know heating oil uh, primarily to heat, and uh, they do need gasoline, there is no real alternative. Are looking and staring down not only an economic future which is you know clouding significantly, but now looking at a circumstance where they're going to have to pay more just so Mr. Trudeau and uh, his wedding party can go around and celebrate the fact that they've achieved at significant intolerable cost to the Canadian economy and those the poorest in our economy in our country, uh, an objective which will not lead to any appreciable decrease in quote-unquote CO2. While they vote to give themselves increases in salaries and while they use planes, right, to go wherever they need to or whatever, and then they tell us to stay home, well, they, a lot of them go on vacation. Really, I think it's time to pay attention to how bad our politicians are doing and that they're really hurting the people that they're supposed to be working for. And that's, again, you know, if you've been listening to my show for a while, you know that I love a clean environment and I want the best option, but I will never, ever support policies that kill off Canadians. And I know that's like crazy to think about, but 
this is bad. So the green people, and if you're one of these people, please listen to me. So if you're if you're okay. saying, I don't care, you're a family of four, you shouldn't drive a truck, you should downsize into a tiny car, right? Then you can't put hockey equipment in there, which means the kids don't get to play a sport, which means they might grow up without friends and they might grow up to, I don't know, go to jail or, you know, not do not saying that if you don't play hockey, you know, that it's bad. But a lot of these bigger vehicles are so that kids can play sports or dance or have an activity or something like that. Um, A lot of us can't downsize our vehicle because maybe we're tradesmen. Right. And we need to carry around tools or Canada's building a lot. There's a lot of carpentry and stuff going on right now. Um, We're building all these houses and stuff. It's crazy where I live. Um, So there are a lot of people who cannot downsize from a truck. So please leave the people alone that drive a truck. Um, And when you say to these families of four or whatever that you need to downsize, um, when the gas prices go up, they can't stop going to work and getting groceries. So what they're probably going to stop doing is like going to grandma's house on the weekend. So then all of a sudden, grandma is, you know, lonelier and maybe getting going to get depressed. And then their their grandkids don't get to see them and they don't get to learn from them and they don't get the cultural value passed on to them. Right. So there's really a lot of like negative effects that happen. Um, and the when you just it's really not nice to say that's their own fault for having a truck. They need to downsize because if you don't know people who drive trucks, you don't know how important and necessary they are to some people's lives. Um, mm. So, yeah, if there's anything I can ask you, just try to <laughs> try to understand if you're listening that we're not bad people that drive trucks. We are using them to to live and to survive and and they're important. And people say, oh, well, Europe doesn't have very many trucks, but Europe is like really quite developed you know we've got big open spaces um our roads are always a mess because of the the freezing and the thawing and there's just Mm -hmm. a lot of need for construction work and stuff so just try and keep that in mind i would say well also keep in mind uh you can't drive you know a a, a 20 horsepower electric tractor to plow a field and you certainly (laughs) can't drive a semi uh from place to place to get the groceries uh on the back of a donkey uh so (laughs) look um being practical about this, one has to also recognize that uh, the platform on many vehicles now is hybrid or uh, twin turbo on a four mm-hmm. cylinder, on a three cylinder, you know, and those who are saying just get rid of it and go to electricity, try operating your electric vehicle again, using the law of physics when it gets nice and cold and you lose 50% efficiency from the get go. The technology will come, but let's not underestimate and let's not be blind to the great things that have happened. So anybody says buying a big truck is somehow leading to gas guzzler, give your head a shake and go and actually look at the mileage on some of those, you know, 2.7 liter vehicles that, for instance, the largest number, the largest vehicle sold in Canada, the F-150, and look at the amount of fuel it uses extraordinary efficiency and it's not just them it's toyota it's uh, it's it's nissan it's it's everyone um at the end of all of this i think we really need to do ourselves a favor regardless of how we come to this point modernize your thinking on what's happening out there because i think a lot of people are assuming and reading textbooks uh, that might have applied to a canada in the 1970s get with the program folks and uh, understand great things have happened in your country. The only people who are, uh, you know, who are the downers tend to be Canadians. The rest of the world knows we're way ahead of the mark. Yeah, that's a nice positive way to end this off. I think that, yeah, we are, we are an amazing country and we have a lot of technology and we're going to keep developing and keep going and we're going to keep getting cleaner and cleaner. 
But I don't think we should be uh, taxing the working class to the point where, you know, they're really strapped. And uh, I think that that's very un-Canadian to do. So if you remove the carbon tax, I don't think our emissions are going to do anything crazy. Maybe there's a little more so that grandma gets a visit on weekends. Um, But, you know... Why not? You know, that's not that's not the end of the the world. And I think if everybody kind of went away tomorrow from Canada, you know, you'd still have China and India and everybody else producing. And that's not an excuse for us to pollute. But the oil and gas is very necessary. And we're not at the point yet where we can cut it off um, without, I think, you know, millions of people at, at, at risk. So we have to do this thinking about the environment, but thinking about people and not being evil and just wanting these people to suffer. Um, and then just the one last thing. Uh, so we mentioned, you know, the the price of driving is going to go way up and it's completely necessary for people to work and to get to, to their food sources and whatnot. Um, but the the heating of the home is the other thing. So I've seen people say, oh, well, you just need to upgrade your home heating. Oh my gosh, it's so expensive to put in a furnace. $3,000, $4,000 in some cases, depending on what you're putting in. So how do people on fixed incomes, so your grandmother who is on a fixed income, afford uh, the alternative of 3,000 bucks for a new gas furnace versus a $2,000 electrical furnace with a bill, a hydro bill for a thousand square foot home of 250 a month? Yeah, we don't have the money. And to just expect us to come up with tens of thousands of dollars to like upgrade our home so it can be more clean because you want the world to be colder. Well, these people, you know, it's cold in Canada. I I find it really weird that Canadians, a lot of Canadians are so obsessed with wanting the world to be colder because it's so cold here. I think Canada's going to benefit if it does warm up and and I think the maximum warm warming that is predicted is three degrees and you know uh, carbon taxes are not a weather control climate knob it doesn't work that way no yeah i don't think the world is gonna blow up into a fiery ball of heat um, and don't let politicians who want your money make you have anxiety and hopelessness that it's going to be too hot to live because it's not maybe in, you know, the Sahara Desert or something where it's already hot. Sure. But there's evidence that less people are dying from floods and natural disasters because we have better technology from oil and gas that has allowed us to warn people, right, uh, that things are coming. So we actually can clear people out of danger zones faster. Um, so the whole thing about, you know, the the forest fires that have been deliberately set or the yeah. the floods, you know, that's from lack of development if people are dying in floods because there should be better infrastructure with canals and, and preparedness. Like my city of Belleville, we've had dams for, you know, a, a hundred years ago, Belleville used to flood all the time and we developed and we built control dams and uh, now the city doesn't really flood anymore. So all these things I think can be fixed through technology and it's a much more hopeful and positive way of looking at things than saying everything's hopeless. You don't have a future. The world is going to burn up in a fiery, like that's, that's, that's insane and it's not productive. So let's keep working, keep kids in STEM, keep everything positive, keep a positive outlook. The future is going to be okay. (laughs) Um, In terms of the climate Politically wise, maybe not. And so I think maybe we need to kind of focus on making sure that our politicians are not ripping us up and ripping us off and pushing us into poverty through things like the carbon tax um, that are not going to change the weather. So uh, 
I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Dan. Um, was there anything you wanted to add about the carbon tax? No, just that uh, be very careful. Obviously, you're not getting back what you think you're getting, and it will not uh, achieve what you think you're going to achieve. Uh, and you're going to make a lot of very uh, strong boosters and promoters very happy. And there'll be even more people that will jump on board as they get paid to come out and tell you why this is such a serious issue when, in fact, uh, and it's not to trivialize it, it really isn't. But our obsession and alarmism and, frankly, climate bedwetting isn't going to change anything other than to hurt a lot of good Canadians who would otherwise be on board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you're worried about, you know, wildlife disappearing and stuff, where I live, we got, we have bunnies and fishers and we, like, I am, I have to protect my chickens because there are so many different kinds of wildlife that will eat them. We have a pair of owls that uh, ate a duck in my backyard. Wow. Um, we have a pack of coyotes in the south. We have wolves that howl up north that I can hear at night. Um, we have bears around here. You know, there's even cougars and lynx. Cougars in Ontario are very rare, but they're here. There's like an eastern cougar. I've never seen one in the east, but I have in the west uh, in BC. Um, so Canada is pretty healthy. So when you hear these things about how evil everything is, just know that if you look at a map and you see all the forests in Canada, there is a lot of wildlife here. There is a lot of, um, there's a lot of clean water systems and stuff like that. Yeah, we got to keep working and making sure that people aren't dumping horrible things in there. Um, but, you know, we're on track. We're doing a good job. Keep doing what you're doing. Just be careful when you jump on a bandwagon, I think, and support something that you think is going to help, but it might not actually help. And it might really hurt your fellow country people, you know, if, if, uh, if these things go through, like the carbon tax will. The carbon tax is hurting people, so. Okay, well, I was just want to thank you, Dan, for coming on the show and uh, giving us a different perspective, because I'm sure it's very different if you're listening than, uh, than what you normally hear about the environment and climate and, and stuff like that. So thanks, Dan. Not a problem. Thank you for having me, Laura. And uh, again, I think you're going to hear a bit of a pushback. There'll be more and more people, I think, now start to take time to consider this and consider its overall total impact. If that happens, and I think uh, you'll find that comments that I've made here and others are now starting to make won't be the exception. They'll start to become part of the narrative and the rule in this country, hopefully. Good. Yeah. Let's stick together, work together and consider all sides of every issue and story, right? So that we can get the truth out. So if you're just hearing one side of the story, it's good to hear the other side, right? You probably heard why carbon tax is good. Now you're hearing why it's bad. And now you as a listener can make your own decision. If you still support it, you still support it. Maybe you don't know. It's up to you to make that decision. Thanks, Dan. That was Dan McTeague. He is the president of affordableenergy.ca. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.